Här är EdTech Tuesdays. Mitt namn är Eva Hotmacher. I veckans avsnitt har vi fått en stund med Stefan van Hoydonk. Han är författare, talare och grundare till Global Curiosity Institute. Han gör research och utforskar ämnesområdet nyfikenhet på arbetsplatser i företag. Vi pratar om olika dimensioner av nyfikenhet och sambandet mellan nyfikenhet och framgångsrik innovation. Stefan talar grekiska, latin, kinesiska, tyska, franska för att bara nämna några språk. Han har bott och arbetat utomlands och satt upp till exempel China Europe International Business School i Kina. Han har haft ledande befattningar i Fortune 200-företag som Nokia, Royal Philips, Saudi Aramco, Afka, Flipkart och Cognizant med 300 000 medarbetare. Nu är det dags. Dela och berätta gärna om EdTech Tuesdays för andra om du gillar våra avsnitt. Det skulle hjälpa mig mycket. Välkommen Stefan van Hoydonk. Välkommen till EdTech Tuesdays. En intervjupodd om innovation, lärandekultur och teknologier för lärande. Vi samtalar med svenska och internationella innovatörer, investerare, thinkers och doers som utmanar status quo. Podden produceras av Snabbfoting, en ledare inom kontinuerligt lärande och digitala plattformar. Welcome to Entech uh, Tuesdays. Thank you so much Eva for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Can you tell me about your background? I'm Belgian. I'm married, still to the same partner. Uh, we have four children together. Uh, my eldest is 28, my youngest is 19. Uh, three boys, one girl, um, all very different. I, um, I lived and worked pretty much all around, not all around the world, but I lived in quite a number of countries. I, I studied Chinese and then I, in economics, and then we moved to Hong Kong and China and then Um, and then uh, we moved to Finland and then I came back to Belgium and then I started working in Holland and I moved to India and Saudi and UK and so I've been I started in investment consulting uh, professionally which I did in China and Hong Kong and then I moved into learning and development um, and I set up a business school in China China Europe International Business School at least the executive education arm and From there, I moved to, to business and I started setting up corporate universities uh, as head of corporate universities, as head of, head, of, uh, head of learning, chief learning officer for typically like top, uh, top uh, 200 Fortune 500 companies. Uh, my last company was Cognizant, uh, 300,000 people, quite humbling that you're responsible for the learning and development of so many people. Um, but we did it with the team. So... Um, That's roughly about myself. And uh, you have visited and worked in so many countries. Uh, and did did you move with the whole fa family uh, to to these countries? Uh, how how was that? It's a lovely experience, and every time it it makes you rethink things, and every time it makes you check on your basic premises and uh, because every culture is different and every language is different and um actually i i met my wife she's dutch um and i'm from belgium as i said 
but we met in China. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started our relationship. We had kids in China, and and then we started moving on to Finland and all the other places. So, for often people ask me, um, "Did you mind traveling so much?" And my immediate answer is, actually, for me, home is where my family is. Um, and if the relationship is good between two two partners and with a family. Then for me, that's the that's the country almost that you're in, because it feels so good to be to be together and to be in that same same space. So I didn't mind to travel. Actually, I love traveling and I loved experiencing new new terrains, working in new cultures, working with new people. Because um, there's so much to learn. And probably I learned it also later on in life. Uh, I started reading so much more and I started learning so much more and experiences. And I was even more curious about getting to know people and getting to know uh, stuff. And actually, I also started learning more about myself also in that process. So uh, the experience to live abroad, work abroad, was it like a catalyst for the learning? Can Absolutely. you say it is uh, good for the learning that you have so much experience from cultures, other people, other organizations, and to be together with your family in other places as well? Absolutely. Like later on, and of course, we're going to talk about curiosity. Mm -hmm. What I've noticed is that curiosity is often the highest when people start something new a new relationship, a new job. Uh, and in my case, it was often and a new job and a new country. Um, and, uh, and, that and, that's every, <laughs> and that's every time a boost for curiosity. Yeah. Now, the danger is if people are not careful, their curiosity goes down mm. after a while. And uh, yeah, you say curiosity goes down. But what is curiosity? I had thought a lot about what is curiosity it's so interesting a uh, topic to discuss can can you tell more about that well actually curiosity is indeed one of those words that we take for granted in pretty much all of our languages it's it's like a word that we use um freely but often we don't reflect too much about it about all the different dimensions of of curiosity and what I try to come up with is a definition that both fits individuals, but also systems. Because for me, teams can be curious, organizations can be curious, even societies can be curious or not. So the definitions I came up with is that curiosity is the mindset to challenge the status quo, which enables mm -hmm. us then to discover, explore and learn. Um, so for me, it's all about challenging status quo, not being happy with the present, um, looking under the hood. Uh, it's it's a notion of exploration. It's it's uh, and then discovery, and a lot of learning in the process. Because I think we all know that. I think I hope we all know that curiosity is the spark that makes exploration start. Mm -hmm. That made Columbus move to um, to America, or that. Um, and that Steve Jobs made start his his company to, together with Steve uh, Wozniak, and um, but also that it's um, anything that helps us to learn. Because mm. uh, learning is all often getting a little bit outside of your comfort zone into uh, a new area that you're not fully comfortable with. So you need to be a little bit out of your comfort zone to really learn well. Mm. 
And uh, if we discuss the opposite, uh, what, uh, what, what's the opposite of uh, curiosity? I say it's a beautiful question. Often, often when approaching a definition, it's great to look for its, its opposite. For me, it's, it's conformity, especially nowadays. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with conformity per se, as long as we're aware of it. I think we have to realize that conformity is always the, the base position. We're always drawn towards conformity. As what I said earlier, initially we're high on, uh, high on curiosity, and then gradually we get, we get familiar with the environment, we get familiar with the people, and at that moment we start asking less questions. And that's the notion of, curiosity, uh, of conformity. So we're always drawn towards conformity because it makes life easier. Because if you have to ask all the time questions again and again, um, it's often happening in the beginning, as I said, not later on. And also conformity gives us peace of mind and predictability that, um, because it's our way of making sense of the world around us um, so that we don't have to check uh, all the small and big things in our life. So, and at a company level, conformity is often kind of the, the re, repeatability of things. Um, often you see with startups, uh, they're high on the notion of exploration and curiosity, but only later on when they become scale-ups or grown-ups, somehow their curiosity muscle uh, moves out in favor of this conformity, in favor of the machine needs to keep keep rolling, and um, and that's um, again if you're not aware of it, it's dangerous, mm -hmm. especially when the environment is changing around you. If the environment is not changing around you, like what often happened in the 20th century, then it's okay not to be too curious, and mm. people can kind of invent something in the beginning of their of their history and then keep on repeating that same trick for uh, for as long as they can look at eastman kodak mm -hmm. um mr eastman he created or he invented his way of of of, of producing film and, and developing film and he could carry with it and the company could carry on with it for a hundred years mm. and that was all because the environment didn't change so much and then suddenly the environment changes and then the company wasn't ready for it. And now I think we're seeing in the 21st century. Can you see some consequences today of uh, um, conformative uh, organizations? Absolutely. I think, as I, as I, as I was trying to say, the uh, startup companies tend to be high on exploration, high on curiosity. And what I, what I found through my research is that also these startup companies are about four times more ready to learn from mistakes Mm. when compared to scale-ups or grown-ups. So that wow. means that grown-ups and scale-ups are four times less ready to learn from mistakes because they, they well, you could imagine, they say, the show must go on. Mm. Even if we have learning, let's continue because it's, it's painful to change our products, our services, to change our brochures, to change our, 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 uh, our relationship with our customers and contracts and, and what have you. I was having a discussion with, um, I actually was doing a workshop with a, with a chemical company a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago. Um, and one of the members said, well, if you want to change even one line in our quality manual, it takes about 700 approvals. Now, the chemical industry is, of course, highly regulated. Mm. That shows you even 
Um, if the environment changes, if there's new thinking around quality or if there's new, a new, new kind of country regulations or new findings to do things better, it's really hard for such companies. So conformity is pulling those type of companies. And it's not only chemical companies, it's all of us, all of us companies. The moment we become bigger, we're, we're striving for repeatability. And not um, so we're looking more at the past mm. rather than being open to the future. And again, um, it's an and and story. Can um, you also see people, organizations, are too much in the current situation and not not look to the future, but they they are in the in the conformity in the current uh, situation. Is that a risk? I think a risk we saw very clearly during COVID, like in some industries, in the same industry, some companies were thriving, where in that same industry, some other companies were barely surviving. And a lot of that had to do with their, their, their openness to change, their resilience, their curiosity for thinking, well, maybe can we, can we change and can we change fast? There was this survey done by SurveyMonkey, um, and they were looking for what are the traits of successful companies during COVID. And what they came up with is the two traits that really stood out from any, any other traits. One was agility. So kind of being able to, to, to act fast on your feet. And the other one was curiosity. Yeah. The openness, inviting the future, even the things you don't know, and creating a culture in your team where it's not only the leaders who are going to be curious in setting the strategy, but opening up that curiosity and that uh, openness to, towards the entire team in the organization. Mm. And that's fantastic because you, you have wrote a book and launched a book recently. Uh, you have made so much research and uh, interviewed companies and uh, uh, got more information regarding this. Uh, can you tell more about your book? How was that? Well, the book, um, I've been interested in a notion of curiosity for a couple of, uh, well, probably 15 years now. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, I've been, I, as a chief learning officer, I've always was interested in, in how people learn, how people can learn faster, um, how people can get on learning with themselves. And I had this last opportunity in my last company where we were changing the culture of the organization. And part of the culture was the learning culture. And we had launched this Open Wonder Learn, this new slogan to, to get people excited about learning, especially self-propelled learning. We wanted to empower every single employee to, uh, to start learning by themselves mm -hmm. for a simple reason that in the IT, because the company was in the IT sector, in the IT business, um, we were always running running behind we were always too late as a learning organization to help people with uh, with all the courses and all the, the the learning they needed to do so we said why don't we just get out of the way and create the right culture to drive things forward and we realized um so we we, we launched this open wonder learn and some people really were jumping on it immediately uh, and they said, yes, finally, the company is waking up and I can start learning whatever I want to do now, machine learning, IoT, uh, any other, other things that, are, that, that were, were, were of their fancy. 
But we realized that quite a number of people didn't know how to go about becoming this self-propelled learner or to start kind of taking their learning in their own hands. And we started doing some training with those people, short sessions, 45 minute sessions around what is curiosity all, all about? And it, it was about neuroplasticity, like it's possible for you to change and you can grow in your curiosity. And we gave people some strategies. Um, and three months after those sessions, we checked in with people and we asked, did you learn something or did you start looking at the world slightly differently? Are you a bit more curious? An overwhelming number of those people said yes. And then we checked in later on with those people and asked them, uh, or didn't ask them, we checked with their learning hours, because uh, I was chief learning officer, so I was sitting on all these beautiful data, and we checked of those people whether there was any difference in their learning hours, in their consumption, in their curiosity about knowledge. And we noticed while everybody else in the company was about 25%, uh, 25 hours, the, the group that we trained, 15,000 people, so it's not a small group, was 43 hours. So suddenly by giving people the gift of this curiosity and the gift of thinking about curiosity and the, the, the ability to change, suddenly it helped. And, and that led me to leave, um, leave my cozy job uh, then and start wow. the Institute but also helped me to write the book because I realized there was so little research done on the workplace curiosity that I said, boy, maybe this isn't a, a thing that we need to explore as all together. And that's why I, I wrote the book. Um, I interviewed lots and lots of people. I interviewed academics, entrepreneurs, uh, business executives, even artists. Um, and while exploring the notion of curiosity from different angles, uh, it's about leaders, it's about individuals, it's about teams also, it's about yeah. organizations and and how does learning learning in strategy or curiosity in strategy work? How does curiosity in, in innovation work, in curiosity in human resources, um, curiosity in learning? Mm. And what can an organization do to, um, to maximize it or to try to do something intentional with it? And what can an individual do to get better at it as well. Um, because for me, curiosity is a muscle. Mm. Um, and muscles can improve, but if you don't train your muscle, it uh, it atrophies. Yeah. And uh, your book, it is about workplace, uh, curiosity in the workplace. Why is curiosity so important in the workplace? What do you say? Well, at this moment, we've realized after COVID 21st century, for me, the 21st century is a century of ideas. The 20th century was a century of big conglomerates and scale and scope. Um, and if you compare, for instance, um, a 20th century company and a 21st century company, let's compare, say, Marriott with Airbnb. It took Marriott about 88 years to create or to amass 700,000 bits, to build seven, uh, buildings with 700,000 bits. It took Airbnb four years to do the same. They didn't build the buildings, but they had a different model of, uh, of kind of bringing together 700,000 bits. And look at the market capitalization. Uh, it's double for Airbnb if you compare it to, to Marriott. So 
So why is curiosity important? I think now in this century of ideas and also through COVID that we just went through and all the changes that are undergoing in, in our industries, companies cannot afford anymore just to be focused on efficiency and exploitation. Um, uh, companies, if they want to last for longer, they, they have to start doing and exploitation. I said there's nothing wrong with that conformity and exploitation, but they have to marry it um, with, with the other side of things. It's openness to the future, it's exploration, it's curiosity, it's, it's welcoming the unknown. And in management theory, you're talking about ambidexterity. Mm. Can you describe that for the audience? Ambidexterity, yeah, that's, it's beautiful. I can think of ambidexterity is indeed that managers need to both embrace the notion of exploitation, doing what they have been doing in the past, but also embrace at the same time exploration. You see that, for instance, in projects, new projects are starting, mm -hmm. um, often we get immediately into action. Yeah. Often uh, without thinking too much. Uh, and you were working in, in learning technology, you might see that companies buy and immediately they want to turn on the switch, switch without uh, spending some time around why do we want this? How do we want this? How can we work, make this work in, a, in an optimal way? So very simply, if you allow for this curiosity to in the beginning of your projects, you already, you move faster, um, and you move with 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 um, better project timelines throughout your project. So what we also found is that if managers, good managers at least, they know when to allow for this curiosity, mm -hmm. and when to say from now on, can let's do a little bit less curiosity, uh, um, and and move into exploitation. Um, while we see often um, that leaders. Actually, when I'm asking leaders whether they think that curiosity is a good thing for an organization, 90% say yes. When I'm asking those same leaders whether they would in, are inviting curiosity and innovation into their own teams, mm -hmm. only 50% say yes. Oh, so bit, bit, uh, yeah. It's a bit theory and practice. It's, uh, in theory, we say curiosity and innovation is good. But in practice, I'd rather have some other manager deal with it um, because I'm focused on efficiency. I'm focused on running a tight ship, which is, um, which is great for the short term, I guess. But in fast changing environments, this is not a great recipe for, uh, for long term sustainability. And we will speak uh, more about innovation uh, in the podcast today. Uh, but curiosity, um, it can appear in different ways. Um, I have uh, read your book, Stefan, and learned a lot about uh, different kinds of curiosity. Uh, can you tell more about uh, different, uh, different sorts of curiosity? Well, that's, I think it's a great question. Typically in society, when we're thinking of curiosity, it links to intellectual curiosity. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like a child, a, a child looking at something novel, a child making sense of the world and uh, interaction with the world, um, the child gets to it. Or, or an Einstein exploring the universe, or a scientist being interested, or an entrepreneur setting up a company. Mm. So that's all, all intellectual curiosity for me. 
Um, and I kind of lumped that in curiosity about the world, mm. the world around us. Now, I've added two extra dimensions, which I think are quite important for, um, for people and also professionals nowadays. One mm -hmm. is um, empathic curiosity. Yeah. Or interpersonal curiosity is our interest in other people around us at home and at work. I, I think that sounds interesting. If you have teams in the organizations, uh, how they work together to explore and develop that sort of uh, uh, dimensions of the curiosity. Absolutely, because what I found in uh, and also other people I found is that if people are if the team is curious, relationships are better. Um, mm -hmm. There's more openness to improve to continuous improvement. Uh, there's less groupthink, um, and there's also higher engagement and productivity. So it is. It's 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 not just a fluffy thing. It's a, no. it's a real it's it's a real uh, productive thing. And the third dimension of curiosity. So we have world others uh, is is the notion of self. Mm. Um, and people often forget that we have two eyes to look at the world and others. But we don't have eyes to look at ourselves, uh, to, to go inward. And for me, um, this self-reflective curiosity is interested in ourselves, in our beliefs, in our purpose, in our, um, in our biases, uh, but also our limiting beliefs. What are yeah. we good at and not so good at? And how do, we, how do we deal with failure? Why do we say the things we say? Why do we do the things we do? Um, um, are we showing up with judgment in meetings um, if we're joining meetings? And I think many of us do as professionals. Or are we showing up with curiosity? You know, and why is that? And what is it in me that makes me um, do these things? So self-reflect is probably the hardest of those three dimensions. But maybe um, the most important. Um, I to, think to, so. To, yeah, to, to have it in the meetings and... Uh, uh, a better culture. I think it could could be connected to the culture in the organizations. Absolutely, absolutely. Why are some people more curious than others? Well, there are some clearly some differences in people. We're all different. You're different from me, and then then then. Yeah. Um, I want to maybe burst first of all as a myth that. Um, sometimes people come to me and say, oh, I'm, I'm curious and I'm, I'm, I've been curious from, from my childhood and I'm always curious and I will always be curious. That's a, a dangerous statement to make um, because often it's just not true. Um, research has found that curiosity is both uh, nature and nurture. Mm -hmm. um, and about 50% of what you carry in terms of your curiosity capability is indeed uh, inborn. It's we you get through your genes from your your parents, and that can be different. You can be a bit higher than others. You can have more intellectual power or more uh, executive powers in your head to be more interested to face the world, interested in learning and 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 and, and other things. Now the other fifty percent is variable, and the other fifty percent is influenced by everything that happens after you were born. Mm -hmm. So in a workspace environment, the curiosity is um, how the environment, how the team, how the manager, mm -hmm. uh, how the corporate culture is um, resonating with me uh, and is allowing for culture. If you, for instance, have a, um, you come new in a company and you see some, some opportunities for change, you suggest it once. Um, if people 
shut you up um, and don't invite you to continue or say, um, well, great idea, but try it in the weekend and let me know. Or um, you don't know yet how things are working here. Let me tell you. Um, so that's clearly conformist behavior. Mm-hmm. People might be doing this once or twice. And then they typically shut up because it's it's clearly not desired that I come up with suggestions. So, so back to the question whether people are showing up more or less curious has to do with both the nature and uh, how they were born and, uh, and also their environment. Now, um, in my work as a, as a chief learning officer, and I think you don't have to be a chief learning officer, anybody can have that notion. When you look around you, you clearly see some people that are just more interested, more mm-hmm. open to themselves, to the world, to others. People that are not afraid to start new things, um, that are kind of grown beyond that conformity um, and have no, f- that people that are fearless, people that are not only learning within their own specialization, but also learning broadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're interested in more things than just their, their field of expertise. And I ended up calling such people A players. Okay. And A players, for me, if you reflect a little bit about these A players, for me, the big differentiator with A players and B players is intentional curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, B players are people that they want to learn, they want to grow, they want to be curious, and they are curious, but somehow they've missed something out of their rucksack uh, from their youth to adolescence and, 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 and that that makes their curiosity muscle less. They're still able to grow it again. As I mm. said, it's a muscle that you can practice, but somehow they they find themselves in a slightly weaker spot when it comes to curiosity. Have you so, seen organizations with uh, uh, talents go in uh, both directions? A players that uh, is in, uh, in the wrong uh, environment that uh, they went to a B player uh, and maybe organizations, they, they are good in developing people and they move from B players to A players. Have you seen that happen? Absolutely. Like to, to the example that I just shared earlier, if, if, if I'm coming up, coming up with all kinds of suggestions and nobody mm. wants to listen to me, it might be that if yeah. I move to another team yeah. in the same organization um, where my suggestions are welcomed by the manager yeah. uh, and by the team members, that yeah. suddenly I thrive um, and I become an A player. Because what often happens when those suggestions are not celebrated is I might be very curious in my private space. I might have hobbies, I might have passions, which I celebrate at home, but at work, I just work. And I don't care anymore because people don't listen to me. In the other team, the manager is able to really celebrate my extra energy and I'm going to give it so much more because I feel more respected, I feel more owned and I, I, I uh, I have something more to contribute. Mm-hmm. And actually, that manager in that other team, what I've noticed, often are doing something which other managers are fearful of, or what the first manager was fearful of. What I there's something counterintuitive. If a manager says, or if a manager is challenged with something new, 
then he or she, um, the first manager might say, well, um, I'm not going to allow that because either the show must go on and I don't have time for, for, for frivolous new ideas or the managers might say, why didn't I think of this? Mm. Um, and he's going to discredit the, the employee for, for doing that. Um, or um, the manager might uh, have some other kind of reasons why, 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 why this is not allowed. And if the manager didn't come up with that idea, him or herself, then there's a, there's a feeling often in many cultures that a manager should have all the answers. Because hmm. a manager is paid more money and has, an, has experience. Um, and not knowing is often seen as a weakness in many cultures. Not in all cultures, but in many, in many cultures to some extent. Yeah. And, but it's actually what research has shown, if the manager says that he or she does not know, actually she gets much more respect from the people around it in all cultures. I think this sounds as a vulnerability. They open up and say, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I think that's good. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And if that manager then suddenly invites everybody else to come up with the answer collectively, engagement shoots up and motivation mm. shoots up. Mm, uh, sounds awesome. And that's, and, and that's beautiful. So that's the other team that's, that's really... So a, B players can become A players. Mm. Um, and... What I'm often talking about is that curious individuals need curious organizations to thrive. Yeah. So there's this exchange of what the individual brings to the table as in terms of curiosity, but also what the organization is allowing uh, to happen through its culture and through its climate and processes and practices uh, through... Uh, um, uh, and there's some really good examples. For instance, McKinsey. The consulting company McKinsey, mm -hmm. they have yeah. one value, and one of those values it's called the obligation to dissent. Okay. So the obligation to have a different point of view, a different idea. Yeah. Um, so and what I love about the word is obligation. It's not only okay to have a different thought; it's a requirement. Yeah. It's even career limiting if you don't have thoughts of yourself, if you don't suggest new things. Of course, there are consulting companies. It's all about data with them. So mm -hmm. it's not just having a, a wild idea without backing it up with data that you have. Um, but nonetheless, it's, um, it's a beautiful or what a company like Intuit, um, they have failure parties. They Failure parties. Wow, that sounds. I love that. <laughs> celebrate mistakes. You remember yeah. what I said about startups yeah. and grown-ups. Mm -hmm. Startups yeah. being four times more ready to 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 learn from mistakes. Um, Intuit is not a startup anymore. Um, mm -hmm. They're a big company, but they still celebrate those mistakes. And there's other companies like that, or a Google, who's allowing twenty percent of the the employee um, is time to be spent on project the employee thinks are really relevant. Um, and there's other examples like this, or maybe one other example, Xicato, uh, it's an LED, um, um, an LED lamp uh, company. Um, they produce and sell lamps to the professional segment. And what they have figured is that they, they give a higher commission to their salespeople for all products that are less than two years old. Mm. 
So that forces those salespeople yeah. to be more curious about selling these products maybe into new segments, into new type of customers, or talk to different um, individuals in the customers that are already uh, uh, present. And that also, they're forcing then R&D to come up with more and more products. Mm. So you have this, this, this loop of, of innovation suddenly mm-hmm. that is triggered by... Um, by yeah, by, by, by commission and sales incentives around the latest product, mm. um, which is beautiful for fast changing, uh, fast changing product uh, companies, of course. There's more examples of how companies are doing great, but it's all about, it's, it's and about the individual mm. who can be curious or not um, and can always improve in curiosity. Um, and also, the um, uh, the company that is actually allowing curiosity. Maybe before I, f- I finish, when I said a cur- an individual is not curious, that's never the case. Hmm. We're all curious. Yeah. Now remember, it's it's curiosity. We have a level of curiosity. It's indeed okay. it's a it's a sliding scale, and we're always somewhere on that sliding scale. And it's not only about curiosity about the world; it's also curiosity about uh, others. It's also curiosity about ourselves. Mm. Um, people might be not be very curious in their professional space, but might be very interested in how their their kids are doing. You know, um, many things that are happening. And um, when we look at uh, curiosity and innovation, uh, how can you see that is connected to growth? Uh... Curiosity links to learning, um, and learning is not only an individual thing. Learning is also um, something that can be done at an organizational level, and learning and innovation, of course, is closely related. Now, when I'm thinking about companies coming out of the 20th century, I think we had this love-hate relationship with with innovation, um, because once a startup and a grown-up is, is 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 established, the trick is to repeat as much as possible the past, and innovation or in innovation happening within the company is often difficult. That's why companies are often buying other companies because these other companies have done the innovation for them. Um, and innovation is often harder to do than the, the, the work makes us believe. Um, and when I'm saying that, I'm immediately thinking of the, 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 the life cycle of companies nowadays. 50 years ago, companies were like, on average, 60 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nowadays, companies are barely 20 years old. Mm. Um, it's a little bit as if companies are becoming one pony tricks uh, or one trick ponies. Or how do you say that? Um, that, um, that we do something really well in the beginning and we perpetuate it until, and then we don't keep on innovating somehow. Um, now, I've seen some challenges with, with introducing innovation and curiosity. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, it's important that companies make it a priority. They commit investments, they commit talent. Mm-hmm. And also, they're, they're mentally ready to change when something comes out. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we've seen that maybe in the correlation between what, I, what we spoke about earlier in COVID, that some companies are just much better at it than others. Yeah. Often people tell me that oil well, curiosity is this fluffy thing, and um, if we make too, if we pe- make people too curious, then 
it's a free for all and the company becomes inefficient. Now, some interesting research has been done by, by some really smart people from INSEAD, the French business school, around the correlation between curious executive teams and their impact on their organization. Hmm. And what they found is very interesting is that actually when, when, when the CEO and the team is more curious, mm-hmm. then it has a positive effect on both the exploitation as well as the exploration. It has a positive yes. on ex- effect on exploitation as in continuous improvement is much more welcomed because these managers are always trying to be curious about tweaking and making customers more happy and tweaking products and solutions to, um, uh, to, to do magic. Yeah. But at the same time, those teams are more humble mm-hmm. about the future. Uh, how can uh, organization nurture a culture of uh, curious, uh, curiosity and innovation? Well, I have an entire chapter about this in my book, and actually my entire book is about cases and then people can learn about it. Now, but if we distill it, I probably would distill it into three dimensions. Um, What's the three dimensions? Would, we could use the word AIM, A-I-M. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of aiming for curiosity. Um, the first dimension would be awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, how aware are we that we sh- that we are showing up individually as a curious individual, or how aware are we of our of our team curiosity? Are we showing up with a lot of biases? Um, or are we showing up with a lot of curiosity? Mm. Are we showing up with judgment as a leader or are we showing up as, as with curiosity? So how much are we self-questioning ourselves? Mm. So that's what it, the, the first dimension is, aware, how aware are we um, and then how much do we want it? And the second dimension is the I stands for intentionality. Mm. How intentional are we going to go with it? Because, of course, the opposite of intentionality is leaving it to chance. Um, So how how proactive are we embracing curiosity in new process? Are we recruiting for curiosity? Or I heard some cases where curiosity is not even desired in interviews uh, because recruiters have this connotation that curiosity is a bad thing in some Mm. companies. Some companies are doing great. Um, so intentionality is an important one. Um, and then the third dimension is measurement. Mm. Um, are you creating some KPIs next to your efficiency KPIs to allow for curiosity? Are we in, um, in engagement surveys? Are we measuring for curiosity? How the individual celebrates, how the organization is allowing for curiosity? I've created a number of diagnostics um, one is on the individual diagnostic, the diagnostic measuring what is my curiosity uh, at this moment. I've also created organizational diagnostics. Yeah. Um, and so measurement and baselining um, and continuous um, uh, measurement. But some companies are measuring once and then 12 months later, I measure yeah. again uh, how things have changed. So that's that's those three things, awareness, intentionality and measurement, I'd say are 
um, could be great ways to get started. And when you say measurements, uh, how many companies do you see use uh, measurements uh, for for this topic? Well, is it usual? Is it common? It's still an early adopter mm. thing, curiosity, because many companies are waking up to the notion now in the 21st century. We're only 22 years in the 21st century, so companies are are only gradually waking up. What um, interesting to see that I've, I'm I'm encountering more and more companies who are adding curiosity mm, to their corporate values. And the moment you do that, you start also that's an intentional action almost you start kind of measuring whether the company is uh, or how the company is doing against those values and in this case curiosity i also see some, so much more companies now being intentional with um, intentional with it in their processes and practices so you can once you have intentionality and awareness measurement comes yeah pretty pretty automatic um, and what I what I try to do, and maybe that's my my little contribution, I I have now made that curiosity is not a fluffy thing anymore. It's mm. something that we can actually measure, and that we can action, um, which uh, which companies are kind of still grappling with a little bit, or which is still new as a as a concept for organizations. And I think it's important to to take away the fluffy and have. Uh a definition that that organizations can set their own uh, definition in their context absolutely absolutely uh, how can you comment uh, the role model companies why do they succeed uh, with innovation well we we've spoken about it already for uh, through different angles well those role model companies are intentionally curious they're not leaving it to chance. They are also having a collective humility around them that they are interested yeah. in their customers. They are interested in changing. And they also have some fear, some fearlessness around them that it's okay yeah. to start anew and to stop projects and to, uh, to, to, to redirect our energies when is, when is necessary. Now, for me, uh, a hero company is uh, is Microsoft. When you're looking at Satya Nadella, when he took over, I think February 2014, it was. He took over from Steve Ballmer, and Steve Ballmer had been basically creating a quite um, conformist organization, uh, a traditional focus. And Satya Nadella came on board and says, "We're going to radically focus on culture um, and climate." Um, growth mindset, uh, curiosity um, um, from from a know-it-all culture through a, a learn-it-all culture. And know-it-all would be kind of yeah. celebrating specialists and the manager is always right um, uh, or Steve Ballmer is always right to a culture where we have a bit more humility um, and it's a learn-it-all, and it's not one person, but it's a team who's going to solve the the, the, the issue. So, and and look look what happened with Microsoft, uh, how how successful they have been. So, that's for me a good role model company. There's some other role model companies. Um, if we're focusing on human resources and learning, it's probably two or three companies. One company I think is really doing great things, Novartis. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I I see a lot uh, about and, Novartis. And what is really specific about Novartis is that they they're trying very hard to to mobilize the environmental aspects of curiosity, mm. making it easy for people to learn, um, taking away all the hurdles. So they're focusing on the environmental aspects. They're not necessarily touching the individual. They're creating the, the, a great mm -hmm. environment. And that's definitely uh, great. Another company which has a completely different philosophy is the German-based Merck. Um, mm -hmm. And they're, they're, they're really very intentional about training individuals and teams on, 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 on becoming more curious and giving tips and ideas and, and strategies to people to reflect on themselves and on their teams and to do better. So very different approach from a Novartis. Um, and then I see, for instance, a, a PepsiCo doing both. And it's fantastic when you say that. They, they have completely different approaches, but I can think it depends on the organizations. Absolutely. That's so nice to hear. You can take the different perspectives and make success. Absolutely. And it's all indeed about intentionality and follow your follow your, your goal. What I'm what I'm suggesting to companies is don't follow my definition of curiosity. Create your own definition. Because curiosity has so many impacts. Um, but 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 give yourself a maybe a maybe one one little anecdote i've talk, been talking to a number of companies about values and um, and curiosity and one company came back to me and said yes we have curiosity in our corporate values but it's a hard one for us because curiosity was something of the founders because they were sticking out their neck and they went global and um, they were focused on on exploration, etc., and growth. But now we have more of an MBA management uh, who is running our show, um, and they're less interested in, in curiosity and exploration. They're more all about exploitation. So he said, um, we still have it in our values, but we haven't given it words yet. And through discussion with me, he realized that they needed to start articulating curiosity because even in a conformist environment you can still make something beautiful out of curiosity if you give it the right words and if you give it the right definitions mm. um, that's why i suggest every company every company is different like you said uh, create your own definition of curiosity where it leads to innovation where it leads to people where it leads to to, to engagement and other things really interesting to hear this it's a uh... It's so time to round up, but I'm so curious to hear what are you most proud of? You, you have worked in so many different countries. Uh, you have been in uh, different organizations, switched uh, and started the Global Curiosity Institute and wrote a book. What are you most proud of? I don't know. I'm grateful for so many things. I'm grateful to be here. I realize myself it's I'm on this constant journey to learn, to grow, to become a better person for myself and for others and, and the world. Um, I'm grateful about it all. Um, and I wouldn't change it. Lovely. And Stefan, 
you are curious and how, how do you keep up your own learning and curiosity? It's, it's beautiful. A number of people are asking me this question. <laughs> um, I think I, how is it possible to if, continue? If you distill curiosity about the world and others and self, um, and then there's three different dimensions. Curiosity about the world leads to creativity, leads to innovation, leads to self-exploration. I bought this piece of land in the, in the south of Belgium, and I'm building a food forest on top of it. Um, and I'm learning so much wow. about trees, about plants, about bees, about animals, and um, because I want to create something that is a, a food forest and, 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 and something kind of permaculture-like. So I'm learning a lot in that space. Of course, I'm learning a lot about curiosity because I'm Is trying to. Is it like you challenge yourself and uh, yeah, change the status quo? Yeah, yeah. It's stretch, stretch myself, and I actually yeah. encourage everybody to yeah. to do something, explore something completely new. On the curiosity of others, I'm starting to, um, I'm trying to meet more people, mm. more different-minded people. Uh, to to learn about their world. Um, and I realize I'm, I'm intentionally trying to do more of this because I'm realizing I've not done enough. And also with COVID, I've been kind of more, mm. more closed. And also um, curiosity about self. Um, I try to meditate every day mm. and I'm trying to give myself this space of... Um, of um, um, yeah, being my being with myself and giving me time to reflect and giving me time to um, yeah to think about why am I doing the things I'm doing. Um, something I've been trying, and that's maybe a suggestion for for people listening to this. Yeah, uh, small tips here <laughs> to to the audience. <laughs> if you're brushing your teeth in the morning, think of yourself as trying to do good in curiosity about the world about others and yourself um, and kind of think about it. Am I showing up curiously or with full of conformity? And in the evening, when you're brushing your teeth again, ask yourself, how am I doing? Was I showing up with curiosity to the world, to others and myself? And then you will realize you're not perfect, uh, but by doing this little ritual every day, you might kind of get better and better at it. And that's how also you, you, uh, you become intentional. Sounds beautiful. And it sounds quite easy as well, because so many of us, we need easy uh, tricks to, to make it happen. I think uh, nowadays uh, in a society with a, a shortage of time and focus on the workplaces. Super. How can we get a copy of your book you launched recently? Well, the book you can always get on, on any of the major platforms. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to give your local bookstore also some opportunity for business, um, they can always find my book. It's available through all the backend processes that they have access to. So um, empower your local bookshop or, or kind of get it online through the global ones. Um, you can always get to... Um, the website globalcuriosityinstitute.com and there you can do your own assessment uh, about curiosity and find out about articles and books and podcasts and and so on 
And um, you can follow me on, on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, mm. Typically LinkedIn, I guess. So um, Stefan van Hoydonk at LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay, Stefan, it's uh, time to, to close the episode for today. Uh, so glad to have you here. It's a pleasure to discuss curiosity and innovation with you. Thank you very much, Stefan. Thanks for having me. Super. Du har lyssnat på EdTech Tuesdays, en intervjupodd producerad av Snabbfoting. Vi är ledare inom kontinuerligt lärande och digitala plattformar. Besök oss på snabbfoting.se för att läsa mer om framtidens lärande.